This episode of TGC's Word of the Week is sponsored by Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Midwestern's 81-hour residential Master of Divinity degree offers a complete foundation for a lifetime of fruitful ministry. For more information, visit mbts.edu mdiv. There will be times in the Christian life when it will feel like God is killing us. There will be times when it feels like he's pruning us far too harshly. The blades will be very sharp. But Jesus wants us to see that the person holding them is unfailingly kind and good. This is TGC's Word of the Week, a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition. This week's sermon, You're Killing Me, God, was preached by Sam Albury at St Mary's Maidenhead near London, England, on June the 12th, 2016. The text is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Listen now to Sam Albury on You're Killing Me, God. Well, good morning. Do keep your Bibles open in John 15, and why don't we pray as we look at these words together. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And our Father, we feel the truth of those words this morning. We can do nothing without your enabling. And so we pray for your help as we look at these words. You would teach us, instruct us, you would change us and equip us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most countries have a a national symbol of some kind and they don't always make much sense. Uh, England has the lion, it being such a commonly found indigenous creature around these parts. Uh, Wales has abandoned all reality and gone for a red dragon, no idea why. Uh, America has gone for the eagle, and at least America does have eagles. Uh, Canada has gone for the equally ferocious and intimidating maple leaf. And Scotland has gone for the thistle. And just as an observation, in Genesis 3, the thistle is part of the sign of God's curse on the world. Just (laughs) offering that as an observation, and nothing more than that. Well, at the time of Jesus, the symbol for Israel was the vine. And it's a very apt illustration. The vine spoke of who they were and what they were about. It reminded them, as we heard from that first reading in Isaiah, that they had been planted in the land by God. It reminded them that they existed to bear fruit for him, uh, fruit that they had so often failed to produce. And so when Jesus likens himself to a vine, it's not just a handy analogy, it is extremely loaded. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. In other words, Jesus is saying he is the true Israel. He is the true people of God. He is all that God's people were meant to be and yet never truly were. And because that is the case, that it's only possible for us to be part of God's people by being connected to Jesus. And so as he goes on to say, he is the vine, we are the branches. If we are in him, united to him, then we are part of God's people. And the focus of this passage really is what's involved in being connected to Jesus. What's involved with being in Christ. What will the Christian life uh, include? And uh, there are four things for us from this passage this morning. 
The first thing involved in being in Jesus is this, it involves being pruned. Being a branch connected to the true vine involves being pruned. Jesus says he is the vine, we are the branches. And in verse 1, God the Father is the gardener. And his job is to do two things in verse 2. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. The Father cuts off branches that are fruitful, and he cuts back branches that are fruitful. Either way, notice, no branch escapes the blade. There's no third option of just keeping quiet and and sort of trying not to attract attention. Every branch gets cut. And Jesus says, for those who don't remain, the purpose, verse 6, is that they be uh, picked up and thrown away. And I think we've just had an example of that with, with Judas in chapter 13. Uh, An example of someone who seems to be part of things, but is never actually connected truly to Jesus. But for those who are and who do remain, Jesus promises pruning. And so right from the outset, Jesus is showing us it's not always going to be a walk in the park following him. I remember a couple of years ago um, helping with one of our garden work parties here at St Mary's. Garden work party are three words that don't really belong together, but there we are. And my job was to to prune a tree, and I was merrily snipping away, and Maureen, who oversees the whole uh, gardening uh, team, came over and and said I, I wasn't pruning it properly. I needed to cut much further back, cut the branches far more deeply. I'd just been nibbling around the edges and giving the tree a bit of a a short back and sides, and she said, you've got to cut the branches right back. And as I did that, I was thinking, this looks cruel. Uh, It looks like I hate the tree. It looks severe and harsh. And it also looks wasteful. It's healthy-looking branches that are littering the ground. And by the end of it, all that's left is kind of bleeding stumps. But as those of you who garden will know, that is pruning. And Jesus says that is, that is the Christian life, being pruned. Any branch connected to Jesus will be cut back. And so it will be hard. When those divine secateurs come down, it may well feel cruel and wasteful. And it's going to hurt. Uh, It may look like good stuff that is being cut away. God may cut back things that bring us great happiness and joy, things that are very painful to lose. If you remember, Jesus said in Mark 8 that to follow him is, is to lose your life in order to save it. And so, my, my friends, some of you will know this already. But there will be times in the Christian life when it will feel like God is killing us. There will be times when it feels like he's pruning us far too harshly. The blades will be very sharp. 
But Jesus wants us to see that the person holding them is unfailingly kind and good. So being pruned is part of the Christian life, but it doesn't end there. Jesus says we are pruned so that we might be fruitful. So the second feature of remaining in Jesus is being fruitful. Um, It will be painful uh, to be a Christian at times, but it's going to be worth it. Um, I shared a flat uh, a number of years ago with a friend who kept a little bonsai tree, and uh, he was pretty obsessive about this tree. He gave it all the attention and care it needed, was forever clipping it and and fussing over it. And uh, one day I had just cleaned the kitchen and I'd left some bleach in the sink to soak. And my friend wandered in, thought it was water, plunged his beloved tree in, and uh, over time it turned a vivid yellow (laughs) before thoroughly expiring. And uh, I am pretty hopeless when it comes to plants. They don't have a long life expectancy around me. But while I'm hopeless when it comes to plants, God is not. And Jesus wants us to know that God the Father, the great gardener, knows exactly what he's doing with us. So second half of verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. God's purpose in pruning us is that we become more and more like Jesus. I think that's what fruitful means in this context. The passage in chapters 15 and 14 speaks about uh, the love of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus being found in his followers. And so as the Father prunes us, it's a means by which we draw more and more on the life of Jesus. Feeding on his sap being nourished by him. And so it's a wonderful promise. Jesus says if we remain in him, we will bear fruit. Uh, Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing but In him, Jesus shows us the prospect, not just of maybe one day there being fruit, but promises us there will be much fruit. Not just that we can or that we might, or wouldn't it be nice if we did, but Jesus says, you will. It is an inevitable consequence of being in Christ that you will be fruitful. Jesus says we are fruitful, we will become more fruitful. And so over time we will find that we do become more loving, more gracious, more joyful in him. Uh, Jesus connects as well this fruitfulness with the, the gift of seeing prayers being answered. Have a look at verse 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I don't think Jesus is saying that as a reward for our fruitfulness, God will give us all the goodies we can think of. I think part of our fruitfulness is that we learn how to pray. We learn what matters most to our Father. Prayer doesn't become us trying to to bend God to our will. It becomes 
a means by which God bends us to his will. And so over time we find ourselves more and more asking for the very things God most wants to give his children. Now Jesus is promising us that we will bear much fruit. But it won't happen without being refined. It won't happen without being pruned. It won't come without cost. And so we need to remember that our fruitfulness will never cost us more than it cost Jesus. Uh, Just a, a reminder that a few hours after Jesus said these words, he was arrested and then went on to be crucified. And whilst we are cut back by the Father, we're reminded that in his death, Jesus was cut off. He was allowed to wither. Jesus was picked up and thrown into the fire so that we could be those who bear fruit. He was cut off that we might only ever be cut back. Being fruitful will never cost us more than it cost him. So being um, pruned, being fruitful, then thirdly being obedient. Jesus talks in verse 7 about remaining in him and having his words remain in us. Uh, Jesus says if we're his followers, his word has already come. Uh, Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken. Uh, The word I've spoken to you. And if you look at the footnote from the previous verse, uh, the the Greek word for for prunes also means cleans. A bit of a confusion if you're in the greengrocers, but um, I guess they figured that out. Uh, The word of God already has made us clean. The gospel word of Jesus has brought us into a relationship with God the Father. And the word that has come to us now needs to remain with us. And so Jesus says his words need to remain in our lives. They need to abide in us. That is, they need to find residency in our lives. I remember once staying with a, um, with a group of friends in a guest house that was particularly unfriendly. Um, as we walked through the door, they said, well, before you even put your bags down and, and use the bathroom, we just need to go through the rules, of which there were many. And uh, the rule that they were most insistent upon was that we be out of our rooms by 10 a.m. and don't return to them till I think it was 5 or 6 p.m. Didn't want us anywhere in the building during the day. And it strikes me that can often sadly be a picture of how we are with God's word. Happy for it to make a, a brief appearance first thing in the morning perhaps, but then it's as if we say to it, listen, I need you out for the rest of the day. And Jesus says, no, God's word needs to live in us. It needs to find its home in us. And that means we need to obey him. Jesus' word isn't just there to be revered. It is there to be followed. And so we remain in Jesus by obeying him. Uh, We must never think we can somehow be close to Jesus whilst ignoring what he tells us to do. But as we obey, Jesus says we will discover it's no hardship. So verse 10, if you obey my commands, 
you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus can put together two things we would think are utterly separate. Obeying his commands and remaining in his love. But the fact is, it's as we follow his word, we are exposed to the warmth of his love for us. Uh, Not today, by the looks of it, but uh, we hope a number of days over this summer there'll be nice sunshine and there'll be an opportunity to head outside and try and enjoy it. And one of the things we try and do is find a good spot, isn't it, where we can sit and enjoy the sunshine. Well, Jesus says if we want to bask in the sunshine of his love, the best spot to do that is obeying him. Because everything Jesus calls us to do is an expression of his love for us. Uh, David could say in Psalm 19, the commands of the Lord are radiant. Not just that the promises or the assurances of God are radiant, but even the commands of the Lord are radiant. And you can't imagine us saying that of anyone else, can you? Can you imagine coming home at the end of a a long day at work and and someone saying, so how was your day, honey? And you saying, well, do you know what? My boss gave me a whole ton of stuff to do. And do you know what? His commands were radiant. (laughs) But Jesus commands are radiant and his commands are radiant because he is radiant and as we walk in his ways as we live in obedience to his commands it brings his goodness and love home to us and so friends please don't make the mistake of thinking well I'll obey Jesus word when I like it Actually, I think it comes the other way round. We will come to love his words when we obey them. And it may well be that the reason some of us this morning are not enjoying God's word is because we're not obeying it. We're not testing its goodness and proving its goodness in our lives. No, remaining in Jesus involves... Obeying him involves obedience. And then finally, remaining in Jesus' words involves being loving. Everything Jesus has just been telling us, he's been telling us to do as a community of believers together. We do all of these things together as God's people. And so Jesus continues, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Or verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Uh, Jesus is assuming here that we cannot remain in him without being part of his people. If we're united to Jesus, we are united to everyone else who's united to him. And we are to love these other branches that God has placed around us. If you are a Christian, you cannot truly be yourself 
by yourself. Part of remaining in Jesus involves serving his people. And wonderfully, the love we are to show one another is not a love we've got to try and manufacture ourselves. Verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. The love we're to show is the very love we've already received. And it is stunning. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There is nothing token about the love of Jesus, nothing half-hearted, no half-measures. Jesus continues in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us his friends. And I think, sadly, we've lost the impact of those words in our own time because we have so massively downgraded friendship in our culture. We've turned friend from a wonderful noun into a verb. And so if I add your contact details to my Facebook page, I have friended you. And for many people, that's what a friend is. It's an acquaintance. Somebody kind of vaguely keep track of what they're up to, they vaguely keep track of what you're up to. But that is not what the Bible means by friendship. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, a friend is someone who knows your soul. A friend is someone who is there for you no matter what. And so little surprise, Proverbs says we cannot be wise without friends. No real friendship actually is deeply intimate. I heard somebody say just this week that a friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Always lets you in means that they do open up themselves to you. Tells you what is actually going on, spills the beans about the real things in their life. And never lets you down. They, they're there for you. And Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. And that definition of a friend has never been more true than of Jesus. Someone who always lets us in and never lets us down. And he truly has let us in. He's not kept us out of the loop. He's not said, well, this is a need-to-know basis and you don't have that kind of clearance. No, he says, everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And so what's going on, friends, as we go through this passage in John, this whole section, as Jesus prepares his people for life after his departure, as he lets us in on what is going to go on and what's going to happen, he is showing us friendship. He's letting us in. He's making us part of his most inner circle. And the sign that we've received that friendship from Jesus is that we extend it to one another. That the love with which he has loved us is a love with which we love each other.
So when Jesus says remaining in him involves being loving, he's not just saying having vaguely sentimental feelings as you look around the room and think, oh, so-and-so's there, and oh, I love thingy-boo, and hmm. I hope it involves that. But the real kind of friendship is always lets you in, never lets you down. Which means we need to be to one another those who are real with each other. If the only answer you ever give to the question, how are you, is fine, actually you can never really be a proper friend to people in this church family. No, we need to be those who actually do let one another in. We need to be those who are ready for others to spill the beans to us. And it's because we have such a friend in the Lord Jesus that we can be such a friend to one another. So the Lord Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and life in him will therefore involve being pruned. It will involve being fruitful. It will involve being obedient and it will be involved, it will involve being loving to one another as we do all of these things together as his people. So let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, you are the vine and we are but the branches. We derive all of our life from you. You are the head of our church. And we are reminded that we need to draw more and more on you, that we can do nothing apart from you. And so we pray for your help that all of us would remain in you. And as we go through the Christian life and there are seasons of being pruned, help us to trust in the work of the Father. We thank you, our Lord Jesus, that such experiences are only to make us more fruitful, to make us more like you, to depend on you more and more. Help us to be obedient to you. Thank you that your words are so good to us, that they give us life, that they are loving words. And help us, please, Lord Jesus, to do all of these things together, to help one another to remain in you. Help us to show one another the love you have so lavishly poured on us. You've been listening to TGC's Word of the Week. Check back next week for another gospel-centered sermon. We also invite you to visit the resources section of our website, thegospelcoalition.org, to find thousands of sermons to help you understand and apply God's Word.